at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy uh, Northeast Heat Wave Week, I guess. We're getting warmer over here for, for a change. It's, uh, it's finally feeling like I live in Southern California for the first time in six months. Yeah, I mean, we had basically not had like any kind of real spring weather aside from like, some blips, and then it's been... So it was like in the mid 80s, so it was a little cooler, but it's been just muggy and like it was mid 90s for like a couple days, so it's just been kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I really like temperatures to get that high, especially in New York when the humidity accompanies it. Yeah, then you just get bad smells and it just, it, it's a lot. Right. Well, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we'll all manage through the summer. I, uh, I don't want to complain too much. I know you don't either. The, uh, this is kind of the calm before the storm for, for those of us who cover college sports. Um, we get a few months of, of not relaxing necessarily. I think there's a lot of research that goes into the next season, but uh, we do get at least just a little less urgency on, on, on writing, which is nice. Yeah, definitely a, a decent reprieve for a couple months here before we... Uh, although the NBA draft is a pretty... Yeah, it's a, one of the one of the like weird little things that pops up uh, in these short in these uh, slow months for college sports. True, this is kind of like the last benchmark before uh, media days begin in July. Yeah, but every month has like a little thing between like the end of lacrosse, uh, well, I guess the NFL draft and lacrosse, and then this, and then media days, and then you eventually like start to actually get football practice. Yeah. And uh, on that note, we are going to talk about the NBA draft a little bit. Um, I know how this works for Syracuse fans. Uh, half of our fan base hates whoever leaves um, unless they left with a national title in hand. So half of our fan base hates Tyler Lydon right now for reasons unknown. Um, nonetheless, he, uh, he should be drafted in the first round. I've honestly seen a lot of dropping of late. I think at one point... You know, last year, Leiden was probably considered like a like a late lottery pick. Um, worst case, like early, like late teens. And I feel like now he's looking at somewhere in like the 25 to 30 range. Um, I totally understand why. Uh, he obviously, he seems like he's a four um, at the pro level. Unfortunately, however, um, he doesn't really have the size of a four in terms of weight. And if he gains too much weight, he could lose the agility and athleticism uh, that's really been an asset for him, um, you know, playing sort of a, a flex, you know, four or five spot um, at the college level. Um, but he also can't play the three at the, in the pros because he can't really uh, handle the basketball. So I'm sure that, that we're not the only ones that have seen that. But, Dan, where do you right now at least kind of see Tyler Lydon falling um, in the draft based on what you've read? Uh, it seems like most people have him in like, like the like twenty one to like probably twenty eight range, but a couple in the second round. Uh, not too many earlier than that, but um, it does seem like 
he was, like you said, he had probably like late lottery potential last year if he had left, and he didn't. Obviously, he had you know a, a good season, but didn't really um, take the step to being like that that go to player, and he you know disappeared some games. Um, and then it seemed like maybe right around the combine, his stock was dipping into the second. Second round, but it's kind of rounded a bit. I think he's he's worked out well. He shot the ball uh, extremely well. I think, in in from what I've seen. Oh yeah, there um, from everything. One of the better, yeah, from NBA range too. Um, I think the the size thing, uh, uh, just watching like the Warriors play, honestly helps uh, take away some of that because there's so much positionless basketball being played now. Um, he's definitely a, a stretch for. Um, I think what what actually also helps him a lot, which is. So one of the things that, uh, especially during the Final Four run last year, um, I don't know how much it's going to translate that he might be able to give you rim protection at the next level uh, as a six foot nine four with three point shooting. Um, I mean, if you can get a, a, a power forward who can hit, you know, thirty eight to forty percent from three and also uh, play maybe, uh, you know, if you have probably have to bulk up a little bit, but play uh, a really small ball five for uh, short stretches. I mean, Kevin Durant was doing it in in the finals and obviously Clyde Nate, no Kevin Durant, but I don't think he had ever done that before at any level, uh, maybe a little bit of Texas, but um, that's just, I, I can see more teams going to uh, small ball lineups like that for a couple minutes at a time. And that could, his, his versatility, I think could help him a lot. Yeah, I agree. I think that was always what was attracting people to him uh, last year. And, and I feel like oddly, like despite him displaying a lot of the same versatility as a sophomore, it just seemed like everybody was kind of falling off because, like you said, he didn't really jump off. He didn't take that, like, leap to, to be a dominant scorer, to be a dominant ball handler, to be someone who could create his own shot, which I think is going to be the biggest kind of black mark on, um, you know, Leiden's resume. But like you said, too, he, he stands a really good chance to make it as a stretch four. Uh, the teams that it seems like people are projecting him to, teams like Utah, uh, San Antonio, Portland, um, in some ways, I think that a younger team like Utah or maybe Portland could be really beneficial to him. I think he'd actually learn a lot um, with the Spurs um, and a team that seems like they are um, obviously system-driven, they're veteran-driven, but also are focused on uh, developing talent. All those things are huge uh, for, for someone like him that still needs to round out into exactly what he's going to be in the NBA um, versus you know a lot of other players are going to be coming into the NBA is, is fairly known quantities. I feel like he's going to be the type of project where like a small market, again, like the three teams we just mentioned, um, could actually, you know, invest a bit more and a bit more intelligently in him. Um, I know I've made some, uh, some comparisons on him for uh, Ryan Anderson. Uh, I know uh, Nikola Mirotic is another one on the Bulls, um, who some may compare him to. I mean, if Leiden can bulk up a little bit and figure out a way to draw more contact, like, the guy shoots almost 84% from the free throw line. He's the type of player who can really, really make an impact with some small things um, in his game, and he doesn't necessarily need to play 35 minutes to do that. He can probably make an impact in on, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, uh, granted, if it's in the right situation. Right, and I think that might be one of the things, like, obviously at Syracuse, we would have liked to see him be more aggressive because he was such a passive player at times, especially even when, you know, he he was playing well. Um, at the NBA level, I don't know if that's going to be a huge issue. I think maybe they would have liked to see more out of him as a prospect, but uh, the fact that he's not going to be a ball-dominant player, the fact that he, he can fill a role really well, um, might actually help 
uh, you know, teams feel some uh, positive, you know, teams take that positively, I think, in certain ways. Um, and I also like the, the teams that he seems to be projected to. Uh, I think he fits in well with a lot of them. Um, you mentioned the Jazz, who are a young team, who have, obviously, uh, Rudy Gobert um, and some, some young, just a really young roster that, that did some nice things this year. Um, not quite as interesting a roster if they end up losing Gordon Hayward, which seems more and more likely by the day, uh, but still pretty uh, intriguing one. To be honest, um, I don't know how... I, I, like, I, I think Hayward's a great player. I don't know how much worse off the Jazz are without him, just because I, I saw them play a few games last year, even one live without him. And it wasn't the like it was. I mean, obviously they're better with him, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And I feel like if they add some pieces through the draft, they might actually be able to find that they're not really any worse off. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they'll take a hit. Uh, I, I don't think they'll become like one of the worst teams in the league, but um, I don't think they are, they would have been you know the team they were this year. Um, I also don't think you can bank on uh, Joe Johnson playing like he did in the playoffs for them um, next year. Uh, but they're an interesting team overall, and they're a pretty well-managed one. Um, some of the other teams, uh, I think Fox Sports had them going to the Thunder, which uh, would be interesting because they have a lot of frontcourt players, but I don't know if they have uh, a true stretch four like him. Uh, and also Syracuse fans would have him and Jeremy Grant on the same team, which would be fun. Um, Jeremy made a pretty, I think, a decent impact last year, and, and Thunder fans seem to like him. Um I people have him going to the Nets at 22, uh, which would be nice for me. Uh, and there's a lot of playing time available. And he also, again, that's another team that doesn't really have a player like him. Uh, they have Hollis Jefferson at the wing, but he doesn't really shoot at all. And what he does, it's really bad. Uh, plays the defense, slide and would add something there. Um, the Blazers uh, should be a team that should be improving. He'd get really good guard play around him. He'd probably get a lot of open looks. So I think his his still set is really uh, a good and, and if he's willing to be a role player, which I think we, we all know he will be for good, for better or worse, um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was a, a you know turned into a nice like twenty minute a game uh, die by midseason next year if he is in the right system. Oh, 100 percent. And you know, like I, we should caveat this right now by saying like people also need to look at the, the D League as what it is now and versus what it is or what it was a few years back. Like so that we have again the typical Syracuse fan, unfortunately who will, you know, deride him, call him a bum, and all this other crap, When if, if Lydon, let's say, he's drafted by the Nets and he's playing out in Long Island to start the year. Like, the D-League is evolving into something that's a very capable and legitimate minor league and not just, you know, a, a place for, for careers to die. It's actually a, a place for, you know, some young careers to develop and flourish. Like, if he ends up there, just like Malachi ended up there, Michael Benajay was there for an extended amount of time last year, like, if Leiden ends up in the D-League, that won't be the worst thing in the world. It might actually allow him to, to better find his way. Um, I don't think he'll be in the D-League to start because I think he's going to be a first-round pick. But, again, if it happens, it happens. And, and I do think that he'll be better off for it um, at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of like the minors in baseball at this point. Or it's not there yet, but that seems, seems to be more and more how teams are using it. Like, would you rather have your young... Uh, Twenty-year-old, I guess Leiden's twenty-one, um, playing you know every four games for like a couple minutes, or would you rather have him in the D League at least contributing? And teams are are taking it a little more seriously. Obviously, they've they've rebranded. It's actually now the G League. Uh, shout out to Dieter Reed, uh, who took on the branding and made it uh, way cooler, I guess. Um, 
but it is being used as more of a minor league uh, feeder system versus where you know a couple of years ago it's just where where it was where players were set to die. Um, so that's you know it's definitely not the end of the world. I mean, we saw we've seen a couple Syracuse players bounce back and forth. Obviously, Ernze Anawaku was down there for a long time and ended up playing really well down there and and uh, has gotten some good opportunities from it. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with Chris McCullough. He's been down back and forth with the Nets a lot. Like they send him up and down all the time. He played really um, well last year. At, did was he an All Star in the D League? Uh, that sounds right. I don't remember off the top of my head for sure. And then they traded him to uh, Washington, who is not going to use him at all, which is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested to see where his thing goes separately, but um, it's definitely not like the the career ending thing like it was a couple years ago. I mean, with a uh, with Tyler Ennis, he spent a lot of time there. And now he he really had a nice end of the season with the Lakers, who need guard play. So um, teams are using it more like a minor league. Uh, I think even better versus, than a minor league, to be honest, as far like versus baseball. I think that for baseball, at some point, like if you have a first round pick or whatever, you're just going to kind of shove him in and, and and force him to figure it out. I think with basketball now, because teams are also putting their uh, D league teams in a in a place that's like regionally adjacent or or in some cases the same market like the Nets it makes it much easier to to have a player quickly called up back and forth um, and and to have them you know kind of quickly deal with issues that they may need to whether it's just you know a shooting slump or whatever like and if you have a guy who you know is not going to play more than two or three minutes a game or maybe even not at all uh, barring a, a blowout like the investment in, in just having him play in the D-League for a bit, um, while also, and this is why the Players Association is why they growth the D-League, while also giving out, you know, a 10-day contract or a couple 10-day contracts to um, a veteran who, who, you know, you're just kind of adding through depth um, and, and uh, you know, in case of emergency break glass situation, like, this seems like a win-win for the league and it's improving the quality of players all around. Yeah, I mean, the big question is how it ends up. I mean, if, if they really start to invest in it and make it uh, feasible in terms of salary and whatnot, how it impacts uh, the college game. Um, I, I, do, I don't know off the top. Like, it's hard to tell because we're seeing more and more guys make the jump as is just to uh, go play internationally or, or guys who really don't have much of a hope uh, of play, of getting drafted in the, the sitsy pits of the draft, um, making the leap anyway, even with that realization. So I don't know that it'll be... Uh, such a crazy uh, impact, but um, it does have a chance to to really change things. Although I, I think that we've seen kind of a shift in the philosophy with the the draft age, and I, I do wonder if those two things will kind of uh, come in conjunction, like a, a change to either uh, getting rid of the one and done or making more of the baseball model type uh, deal, along with uh, more of an investment in the G League um, as a true minor league uh, feeder system. Yeah, it's not a bad idea at all. Um, just moving on in a little bit of this NBA draft chat, Dan. Um, there are three other players who could potentially be drafted. I don't think any of them are going to, but that doesn't mean they won't get invited um, as undrafted free agents afterward. Um, those names being Andrew White the uh, Third, John Gillen, and Tyler Roberson. I feel like out of all of them, Andrew White is the most likely because of, he's a quality shooter. Um, and I think Roberson might actually be second most, if only because of his size and because of those random games where he showed that he could be a, a very good rebounder when he put his mind to it. 
Yeah, I, I don't see either. Of, I don't see Gillen or Roberson making it. Roberson just really just never never got to that place where he was contributing on a daily a, a game by game basis like that. And and while he does rebound well, even that like went came in and fits and stops. Like it wasn't like he was rebounding at some exceptional level even when he wasn't scoring. Like those two things seem to come hand in hand a lot. Right. Um, and he's just you know he sits seven. He's not like a a re, you know if he was six nine and had the same. Uh, ability, maybe, but I just don't think he has a size for it. I, I wouldn't shock me if White um, got some serious looks, just because apparently he shot the ball really well in these workouts too. Uh, um, he's a he's played multiple positions. Uh, it, it wouldn't shock me if he was able to touch on as a three and D type guy. Um, I don't know how you know his athleticism is going to translate, but last year he really wasn't even taking the ball in the room that much. Um, he was pretty much a pure spot. I think he had some of the, the craziest like breakdowns of spot shooting versus like putting the ball on the floor in, in the NCAA based on how Syracuse is using him. So um, not that teams wouldn't prefer a guy who can do both, but uh, if he can knock down, you know, 40% of his threes and, and play decent defense on the wing, like that's a super valuable thing in the NBA right now. Hi, J.R. Smith. Hi, like half of every roster. I know. <laughs> I just like to say J.R. just for kicks. I mean, who doesn't? J.R. is great. He, he's excellent. I wish he was still in the Knicks. And, and, and old Joy is gone. Uh, uh, Jarrah wants, uh, wants to steal Carmelo for the Cavs. At this point, he was on Instagram dropping likes. Just just go for it. Just just help Melo. <laughs> just be happy. <laughs> I have no idea how that would work. Like I, I support Melo going to try to chase a ring. Uh, um, I have no idea how the hypothetical like replaced having love for Carmelo thing works. I think it works pretty well. Uh, I mean, they already have two. It could. I mean, there's definitely a high ceiling there. I just worry because you already have Kyrie, who's incredibly ball dominant, and LeBron, who's pretty not not super ball dominant, he but need the ball he wants to be. He can be. Yeah, I mean, look at the end of the game, game five. Like he literally just took the ball, went full ahead of steam of the basket, and scored pretty much at will. The problem was that the Warriors were up big, and it didn't matter. But he doesn't need the bike. He's not a you know, spot up shooter, and he's not a guy who's going to. He doesn't really post up that much as like he did in Miami, so it, it should definitely work. I just I don't think it's like super obvious. But Carmelo is also a great scorer, so you put him on a team where he's not the you know he's, he's what, the third best player probably. Then you know maybe he fits right in and, and turns into just a, a really nasty uh, guy getting a lot of open looks. Yeah, who knows? Um, I guess sort of Carmelo adjacent. Um, Beheim's army unveiled their. Uh their new uniforms for this summer and uh i like them a lot they are based on the 2003 uniforms that we won when we won the national championship i wish we still had these uniforms uh as our full-time ones if we don't have the script ones um dan your thoughts i assume you're on the same page great look for them and, and, and a nice way to kind of get fans excited yeah i mean i think i think this whole the, the tbc Pure fan service and uh, and just totally getting people excited for you know old school players and and nostalgia. So there, there's really no better option than than going with jerseys that remind people of uh, of the, the the great days. I mean, last year they had the stripped ish uniforms. They didn't look like totally like the the mid '90s strips, but they were definitely like evocative of that. This year's uh, same kind of deal. They have the, the, the striping down the side. They have uh, the same pretty much the same font. Um, obviously, they use Melo's number fifteen. I, I like him. I, I think that's a good jersey. The Syracuse jersey is good. I think the 
they have Army jersey, which uh, is pretty close to it. Uh, this all look. I, I look forward to the next year's, which will have the duct tape striping, and uh, Johnny Flynn will appear out of nowhere to play for the team. <laughs> well, they have. I want to say they changed a little bit around the rules for ringers and all that. Did they? I haven't really looked into it too much yet this year. Yeah, I don't think you can add players as late as you did in previous years. Um, when does that? When does that actually tip off? I, I haven't. I don't even know what the schedule is. They have like the jam- soon- they have like the jamboree format for like the play-in games, basically. Um, then they're going to announce seating on the twentieth, and then uh, the games tip off for the Eastern bracket on the eighth and ninth of July in Philadelphia. Nice. So we're getting there. Yeah. we're... Between this and the and the three on three ice cube tournament, uh, it should be a pretty fun summer. I mean, the summer like really needs this kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm all for it. I like all of these things. Uh, and and the TBT like I did I, I expect it to be pretty fun. Like I think we've all gotten way more into it in the last two years uh, than we thought we would. Well, ESPN's also helped there. I mean, the fact that yeah, there's so many teams now and there's so much demand and like, I mean. There's like a UConn-ish team. There's a complete Villanova team. There's a Pitt team. Uh, there's a Dayton team. There's a bunch of others. I mean, it. A lot of and and the fact that like the coaches are getting involved and like promoting it. I mean, for them, it, it it's beneficial. You get to talk about players you coached and players that used to go to your school. It's a recruiting tool in some ways. Like, it, there's just a lot of. It, to me, it, it's just a fun sideshow to college basketball, but. A, a good and necessary one in a sport that, you know, obviously has its own problems and, and has its own issues with games being, you know, less fun sometimes than maybe they should be. Yeah, especially with college basketball, like, it's it's not a... The, the season's not that much shorter than other seasons, but it feels shorter because so many other people don't get involved until, like, February. Right. Um, obviously, those of us who follow the teams, you know, closely are, are in on it in early November when everything tips off, and even before that as we get to the run-up, but even then, like, there's a pretty substantial break between in, uh, the first week in April and the roughly the first week in November. So having this tournament for, like, a month in the, in, smack in the middle of the summer, I think, is, is really nice for, for I mean, now, now a lot of fan bases because I think we were one of the first ones that really had a big team two years ago. Um, there were a couple other schools that had, like, similar ones. But now it seems like, like you said, there, there are at least, like, fractions of, of uh, alumni from, like, a ton of huge schools, which, which definitely makes it more fun. Uh, granted, I'm pretty sure both champions have, both have been like I think one was what a D League team that like came back to play. It's pretty, uh, and then the other one was like a group of international play or like American born players from abroad that like played internationally. So uh, we'll see which one of these college teams can finally break through uh, if if that happens this year. Hopefully, it's us. That'd be nice. Get Diva some money. <laughs> so uh, one more thing before halftime. And then we'll head into Sunbelt discussions. Um, Dan, once again, Syracuse is doing their orange out and their uh, fan design t-shirts. This year, however, uh, the orange out game is on homecoming. I'm not sure why these things are all intersecting. Um, what's your favorite t-shirt design that we proposed? Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going through them now. I just laughed at my t-shirts are now scheduled through 2019. Uh, very on brand for the site. Um, <laughs> we should be the Robins is amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Meth, I don't even know what to say about meth possums. I really enjoyed that you didn't even make the logo like fit in the t-shirt. Oh, hell no. <laughs> just some really strong uh, painting. Um, just, uh, there's there's a lot of... Uh, I, I don't even know what to say about the cancel. Just so <laughs> Don't want to get political on the podcast, John. No, um, no. All in good fun. <laughs> I forgot about Method Cat. <laughs> I had forgotten until somebody mentioned it like the other day, and I was like, "Shit! Like, how did I forget that? Like, one of the like banes how, what, of my existence for like upwards of." I mean, Western minutes. Michigan needs a new brand thing since Minnesota bought basically bought row the boat from them. Like, Fleck how is, is method? Fleck is so like shrewd, like in a good way and also in a bad way. Like, I'm sure you saw that thing he did with the uh, video with the football camp video. Oh. Yeah, amazing. Like, I love that he got reported for that. It's so funny. Got reported for it and then, <laughs> and then suffered zero consequences. Of course, he didn't break any rules. Brilliant. Like, why not? But he's, he's just very smart. He's, he's, he's very Harbaugh. Um, he's a little less, like, intense. But, like, Shrek, uh, not Shrek, oh, God. Fleck. <laughs> <laughs> PJ Shrek. Now I'm just um, imagining... <laughs> Like a god awful Scottish accent at a post game. That's what happens conference. when you spend too much. That's gonna be in three years after like too much exposure to the Big Ten West. Uh, no, I, that was just brilliant. Like for those of us, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, because it's just total like college football minutia. Um, there's a, a rule loophole where you can uh, basically he made a, a hype video for uh, one of the camps that Minnesota was running. But he used it because of a loophole uh, to basically feature a bunch of big recruits that they're after uh, and prominently showed them in the video. So he technically like advertised players he was recruiting, but squeezed it into like a t- different thing so he was allowed to do it. And it was very shrewd. Um, it was within the rules. I'm sure those rules didn't change like tomorrow because that's how the NCAA works. Um, but the fact that other schools that really worked out about it is just so great. Uh, I ride for PJ Flood forever. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, if I'm getting back to the original topic, um, I really want the Meth Possum shirt, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I've actually, uh, and I might as well give this away, I, I'm putting together like an oral history of the Meth Possums to, to be released at some point this summer. Uh, for those who, who have not ventured into the comments uh, during the off season. We randomly decided that the original team name of Florida Gulf Coast was the Meth Possums. It has become kind of a running joke. As anyone familiar with the site knows, these things kind of take on a life of their own. Um, So I figured, why not just lean into that during months when we still can? Uh, So that will be out at some point soon. Uh, I will not not be making any sort of time commitment um, as to when, because schedules change, and I don't always know what my week's going to look like. My favorite part is that it pops up in uh, just some of the most random posts, like recruiting football, football recruiting posts. Um, I think a lacrosse post, like <laughs> it, it hasn't actually. I don't even think it's come up in like a post about Georgetown or something. No, it's just I don't remember. I don't really remember where it originated, um, but it is wonderful, and I appreciate it. I'm just glad that I found the logo for it so early, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's just become an accepted part of. Of the, the, the allure and the, the backstory of, of the uh, majestic meth possum. I mean, Florida State, Florida, Florida, I 
keep on mixing up very different things. Um, Florida Gulf Coast uh, has shown a, a, that it will adopt branding uh, very quickly. So uh, I'm all I'm all for this movement. I hope they uh, come into prominence again soon, and then we can just force upon them. It's fine to me. Um, all right, I think it's time for halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, a couple of different things. Uh, I was tailgating over for a concert over the weekend, so I had some good stuff. Finished off my Brooklyn Sriracha Ace, which isn't the most obvious tailgate beer, but I had some of it left, so I wanted to, to bring it along. And it's not the worst because it's pretty drinkable for a Saison. Um, I had uh, No Limits Hefeweizen from uh, Two Roads, Connecticut, uh, one of my favorite breweries up there, which I bring up a lot. Um, their Hefe is quite good. Um, I had some Stolpen, naturally. Uh, I think the highlight of my week uh, my friends brought up was the uh, Dogfish's Sea Quench Ale, um, which was kind of, it's not branded as such, but it's, it's more or less like a margarita sour. Um, it is really, really delicious. Uh, super, super drinkable, especially for a really hot day like we had. Um, quite, I mean, it, it's like all aboard on the flavors. Uh, it's a, also a session, which was nice for, uh, for drinking for like three hours outdoors. Um, but it's a really nice blend of things. It has kind of like the doza saltiness, uh, a lot of lime. Um, apparently, they're calling it a Kolsch, which I guess I can see. It's just like a blend of a lot of different things, but I thought it worked really well. Cool. What did I drink? Um, oh, I uh, had Stone and Main Beer Company did a uh, collaboration IPL called Day Slayer, and that was actually super good. Had that on draft um, over at Hop Saint. What else did I have? Uh, went down to the brewery, actually. I had to pick up some things. So I uh, had a couple different beers from them. Had a... Uh, it's called Spritz and Umlaut. It's a uh, like German-style uh, like Berliner Weiss, which is kind of interesting. Like Berliner Weiss usually don't associate with like heavier German hops, but this had a nice kind of uh, merging of, of the two... Um, just kind of styles. Um, also had they had a sour ale called Culture Club uh, Romance Revisited. It was a, a very good. Um, I think it was like a raspberry. There's a couple other things going on. Uh, sorry, I don't have more notes on that one. And also had the uh, cleverly named uh, Taking My Talents to Anaheim, which is a beer that they made with uh, Jay Wakefield down in Miami. So uh, that reference uh, fairly obvious for those who uh, who haven't caught on by now to the decision. And also every recruiting announcement of the last, like, 18 years. Exactly. Thanks, LeBron. Um, then also had the Melange Number no. 9. It was a uh, Sour Ale Wheat Wine um, collab. Well, Sour Ale Wheat Wine blend with, um, I think it was lemon, ginger, and coconut. So, yeah, that one's pretty good. Um, then had, during the USA soccer, USA-Mexico soccer game, on Sunday, had a couple uh, cans of Pickleweed Point IPA from Pizza Port, as well as a bottle of uh, Alpha Galactic Pale Ale from Beechwood. So, yeah, productive-ish drinking weekend. Yeah, it's going to be, I'm, I'm going down to, because I, I, for whatever reason, cannot escape the state of South Carolina this year. <laughs> um, I'm going down to a bachelor party in Myrtle Beach uh, on Friday. Uh, so pray for me, and also I will be drinking down there. I have no idea what the craft beer scene is going to look like. There's a decent chance that it will not end up mattering. 
That's fair. I, uh, I can't blame <laughs> you on, on that. Most of the parties I go to are either Vegas or San Diego. So San Diego, obviously, we're set on beer. Um, Vegas depends on my mood. Yeah, Philly Vegas is not, not the, the most beery city. No. There is that one place... Um, that one place, that one bar that I found like the last time or last couple times I was there, um, over in like the quad, which is like right over by Caesars and mid part of the uh, strip. That area, I, I regret finding the craft beer bar because when it's hot in Vegas and you're out all day drinking, like that's really not what you want. No, I, I discovered the frozen giant frozen drinks that they serve on the side of the street, and that was nice. Oh, Fat Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Uh, like, maybe. I don't know. It was like 4 a.m. <laughs> the, the first like three times I was there, I pretty much just like filled up Fat Tuesday, got the extra shot every single time, and then uh, you know spent spent the day with a perma buzz, which was uh, my younger years. I, uh, I I don't think I can do that anymore. Yeah, I was, that was pretty much like a haze. I will be back there in August, so we will get right back to it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, hopefully everyone's still here. We're going to be talking about the Sun Belt today. Now, we talked about the Sun Belt a little bit last week, um, but today we're going to try to keep it as Sun Belty as possible and keep Conference USA out of it. Um, Sun Belt's actually interesting for those who don't uh, spend as much time as Dan and I do watching some of these lesser games, uh, both during the week and on the weekend. Um, be surprised uh, what ends up coming across your screen in terms of just really entertaining football. Um, I think we should start with Appalachian State. We're not going to go through everybody, but I think Appalachian State is, is one of the more interesting programs in the country. Um, obviously, they're in the middle of nowhere, Boone, North Carolina. Uh, they are, by name, of course, in the Appalachian Mountains. They had a great culture um, at the FCS level and have managed to not only translate that to FBS success, Dan, but somehow actually you've gotten better in the last few years, and if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's actually, I don't know if it should be surprising, but it seems like there's a pretty high, like, conversion rate for these, like, really good FCS teams making the jump. Is Am I, like, crazy, or uh, that does seem no, to be happening? you're actually dead on. I did an article about this on the comeback a few weeks ago. And okay, cool. Yeah, they, uh... I did, I did it. Well, I did it about Coastal Carolina, and kind of like used them as right because they're the the newest one. Yeah, and the only teams like screw this up are UMass and uh, I mean like South Alabama's never really pulled it off too well. Yeah, I mean, South Alabama has been great, but even they've had like moments. Yeah. They just haven't had like the the real success. And I don't, I don't was South Alabama like a power at the FCS level. I don't totally remember. Yeah, I, mean, they, I think they formed the. They, like, formed... They were them, Texas State, a couple others, like, formed their program. Or, no, not yeah, Texas State. Them, UTSA, and, like, somebody else, like, recently formed their program. Like, just for jumping up. Well, Georgia State did the same thing. They formed their Georgia program. Georgia State kind of did that, yeah. Yeah, so, like, a bunch of them have, like... I mean, you take a perfect formula, and then that's kind of why the Sun Belt's been successful. You take um, FCS programs who have a history of success, fan support... Um, they have a local recruiting ground that people are familiar with. Um, you add in programs in fertile recruiting area, Georgia State's in Atlanta. Um, they have Georgia Southern's also in Georgia. Um, 
you got Appalachian State, while they're not in the like center area where there's a ton of talent, um, they're pre-established, and on top of that, are in North Carolina where there is just a ton of talent in general. Um, UTSA is in Conference USA. Who else is in the Sun Belt? Well, Coastal Carolina is coming in, and they're another program that only started up in the last decade, but South Carolina is a pretty fertile recruiting area. Um, There's Troy, obviously, down in Alabama. Yeah, Troy down in Alabama, and they've, I mean, done a great job over the past 20 years, like, having pretty consistent success outside of, like, a small valley in there. Um, Who else is in that league? Lafayette and Monroe, one of whom has been quite consistent and one of whom is not. Even Lafayette lately, though, is not really, like, they haven't been world beaters necessarily. No, they've dipped a little bit recently. Um, but, I mean, I think they're usually, like, at least a, a decent bowl bet. Um, right. Monroe has, like, beaten Alabama and also been really terrible. So. <laughs> Who else? Uh, I mean, Texas State's in a great area, even if they haven't really put it together yet. Um, I think UTSA is probably a little bit better situated than them. Um, New Mexico State and Idaho are gone. I think we can talk about them later. Um, Arkansas State's another program. I think Arkansas State um, and then the Georgia schools are probably all, like, if Conference USA ever felt like they need to expand again, I feel like they'd eye Arkansas State and Appalachian State, but I don't know if they'd come along. Yeah, it's tough because I, I don't know that, I, I, I don't know that up. it's, like, super obvious that Conference USA is a, a step up. Like, obviously, uh, I think Bill C had Sunbelt ahead of him last year, right? Yeah, they I think fell like. Which obviously that's not what it means, but um, it has to do with more TV stuff. But I feel like the Sunbelt is like slightly better, like slightly more coherent. I think we talked about this last week. Uh, Slightly better branded. Um, TV is more. They're even like I mean at this point, Sunbelt has a deal with with ESPN, and Conference USA doesn't even have that anymore, really. Right, the Sunbelt really it seemed like aimed to try to be the Southern MAC. just kind of, like, know who it is. Obviously, it's a little more volatile because Mac kind of holds together pretty well. Um, but, like, they have more... Uh, the FCS thing, I think, is a, a nice model because you, you build up uh, fan support and identity. Like, talking about Georgia Southern, like, that's a historic program. They have super, like, high levels of tradition, and um, they sell out, and they, like, have a whole, like, offensive identity that they stick to uh, religiously. Like, that's a football program that if you like, are in the weeds of college football a little bit, like, you know what you're getting out of Georgia Southern, and most of these uh, group of five programs that, you know, are in, like, the Sun Belt level, like, you don't, you, if you're not a, a diehard, like, you don't know what their, like, their team looks like on a day-to-day basis, but with, with the, the Sun Belt, you have, like, some of those. Obviously, Appalachian State has uh, a super signature win when they were in FCS and beat Michigan at the, at the big house. Um, Arkansas State's played uh, a pretty fun uh, running had this pretty good running attack for a couple of years. Um, Southern has their option, uh, so you you have like an idea of who these teams are versus even compared to like Conference USA, where it's a, a little more of a, a mishmash league. Yeah, agreed. And like, I guess using this as a little bit of a segue, like Troy, Troy might not even win the league this year. Like Troy was dangerously close to like a real conversation around the Access Bowl bid last year, like. They barely lost to, to Clemson, and some might actually argue they should have beaten Clemson based on a, what was a bad call. Um, they didn't necessarily keep it together for the full conference season, but, you know, Troy won. I think they went 10-3 and last year. 
Like, they... They were sniffing around the top 25, weren't yeah, they? they were sniffing around the top 25 at one point. Like, they're definitely... They have an offense and, like, a really, really good one. I mean, uh, their quarterback, Brandon Silvers, who's back um, this year, um, will be there. Like, Troy is a lot... I mean, I wrote about them last year, too, actually. They... They're just a fun program. Like, they used to be fun. I remember when, when we were kids, like, Troy was, like, starting to pull things together uh, in, in, in what was then, like, a different Sun Belt. It, North Texas was a power for a while. Middle Tennessee was a power for a bit. But, like, Troy strung together a bunch of seasons in a row. Uh, they were pretty good. Uh, Neil Brown has just become, like, an electrifying, like, presence down there. And, like, he's a guy who's under 40, um, doesn't have any like super obvious ties to any other jobs either like he played for Kentucky at the beginning of his pro of his uh collegiate career and then moved on to UMass um so it's not as if he's like kind of pigeonholed into an area I mean maybe Kentucky but yeah I, I think you know Neil Brown is, is a guy who's a rising name um again maybe there's there's some draw to places like Kentucky and Texas Tech where he's worked before but largely like He's done a really impressive job in a short amount of time at Troy, and he's probably leaving if they um, if they're successful once again this year. But it shouldn't be discounted that Troy is is probably one of the best situated uh, teams just because of the you know rabid fan base uh, down there in Alabama. Um, obviously, again, like we said, the Georgia schools are well situated, and App State um, well situated just because of its its, its long standing uh, tradition down there, similar to Georgia Southern's. Um, I think Arkansas State, uh, to me, is probably the most interesting program because, you know, Arkansas, while, while it does recruit well, it doesn't really have the same large presence of, of, of great players. Arkansas doesn't necessarily have the, like, hu- the huge hubs of talent that some of the other southern states do. Um, you know, Arkansas Razorbacks struggle enough to, to be, like, a consistent top 25, 30 uh, recruiting program. So Ark State's not necessarily going to bank on you know, picking up like a ton of local kids. They also um, turn over their, their coach every year. I know last week we talked about, you know, Western Kentucky kind of being uh, an interesting case of like how a program can lean into a reputation as like a proving ground for coaches um, and just, you know, continually hit on quality hires. Like Arc State is another uh, case of that where, where they, they've managed to, um, pulling up their like list of coaches now, but uh, yeah, Arc State has managed to, for the most part, like after after a rough start to their uh, their tenure in FBS ball, I feel like they've actually done a fantastic job in the last probably seven to ten years. Yeah, I mean they're one of those teams that you, you can like turn on a college football game on like a Tuesday night, and if Arkansas State's playing, like it's probably going to be a pretty fun game, and especially early in the year, I feel like they they often put stares into people um, over the last couple of years. Uh, Going back to Troy, like Neil Brown, like you said, he's just not want for that program because that dude is one of the, the rising star coaches. I'm surprised he has actually gotten more um, attention. I know he's only been a head coach for two years, and they took him from 4-8 to 10-3. to But um, after last year, uh, I mean, I think I think this year is it unless they like fall on their face for him uh, at Troy. Um, I obviously, there's no luck. Senior quarterback and everything else, like they, they seem well-situated. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Like you brought Texas Tech if they wanted to move up from Kingsbury, which it seems like they're kind of loath to do, but it has to happen eventually if he doesn't get it around, turn it around. Um, that could be a place. But but Brown's definitely got to be one of the 
the hotter coaching commodities, I think, uh, heading into next year's coaching carousel. Um, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State, um, 24 and 15 in four years, like, that's pretty good, uh, or three years, I think. Um, a little uh, older, he's 48, but he's not, like, super old, but he can go take over a bigger program if he wants. But he's just done, I mean, he's been, been really good through three years. Um, seven, seven and six, nine and four, eight and five. Uh, I do wonder if he's also going to be a guy that gets some looks. I mean, probably. Based, I, again, you, you look at the reputation this place has been able to build. I mean, three former Arkansas State coaches are at very big jobs right now. You um, Freeze, obviously, um, at Ole Miss. You have Gus Malzahn, who's over at Auburn. And then you have Brian Harrison, who's over at uh, Boise State. Uh, you know, Anderson, not necessarily the same mold of coach as those guys. Those were guys who were going to Arc State to kind of stay in a footprint. Um, well, the first two, stay in a footprint before getting an SEC job. Uh, for Harson, it was to um, just head somewhere else until Chris Peterson got done with being a Boise, and then he headed right back to Boise. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, Anderson's a different mold of coach, but nonetheless, um, you know, Arc State kind of proving once again to be um, a very interesting and capable recruiting, uh, well, recruiting area, yes, but but more than that, a, a proving ground for coaches who, who want to be able to, um, you know, kind of gnash the teeth a little bit and, and, and really kind of warm up for, for what could be a bigger job. And again, like we said, Western Kentucky last week, if, if your program can figure out how to do that and your fan base can be conditioned to accept it, um, you could potentially have a lot of success. I know right now, you know, we're hoping that that's not the case uh, for Syracuse and Dino Babers' long-term relationship. But if for some reason, you know, if Babers gets to 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four and, and, and the bigger offers come coming uh, this summer, well, next summer or next fall, well, no, next winter, sorry. Uh, that might it's be, Syracuse, just say winter, it's probably right. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, that that might be something worth, and 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 Sean mentioned this, you know, when we fired Scott Schaefer, and I know you and I are probably on the same boat. Like Syracuse, this is this is a model that you could potentially. I mean, no, we're not in the same recruit, uh, the same fertile recruiting ground um, as, as some of these Sunbelt programs and things like that, but um, potentially trying to get more accustomed to change and, and, and rotation and, and, and accepting the fact that a guy was going to come in, use Syracuse as a stepping stone, because let's be honest, it is a stepping stone job in the terms of the Power Five. Um, and, you know, if, if you manage to hit on two out of every three hires, like as long as the one that doesn't hit is, is not a disaster, and that depends on what your definition of Scott Schaefer is, really. Um, you can survive as a program pretty well and make a bowl game four out of every six years. Yeah, that's a pretty realistic, good model. Um, I was I was going to say uh, Ole Miss, definitely one of those tools that could be looking at Neil Brown next year. Yeah, that sounds right, unless they get hit with like a, a pretty big penalty, which uh, rumors around the internet say that they very well might. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens with you Freeze. Um, Honestly, like the, the SEC West, and we're not going to talk about SEC this week, but the SEC West has a lot of intrigue and usually a lot of turnover just because of um, what they're up against over there. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it depends on which fan base and which athletic department and which boosters are are okay with finishing behind Alabama. And those that aren't um, fire their coach, and those that are 
keep their coach around sometimes too long. Um, I think that Dan Mullen's stuck at Mississippi State now, and I think Mississippi State's stuck with him. I think Ole Miss and Auburn could both be potentially changing coaches. Um, A&M, I think, is a, is a prime candidate for a coaching change. Um, I think someone's done a nice job, but I think there, there's been a ceiling with someone that the right coach could probably turn A&M into what we thought they were going to be um, when the Manziel era started. Um, and then Arkansas, I don't, I don't know. I, I think Arkansas might have the most realistic fan base, surprisingly, out of well, Arkansas and Mississippi State probably had the most realistic fan bases out of all the SEC West schools, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it might be because Arkansas isn't like a, a died-in-the-wool SEC school. Um, and Mississippi State just is what it is. Um, it, I, it, it wouldn't shock me if Freeze got fired, uh, especially considering what like some of the the bubbling um, word in the street is about what those penalties look like. I think we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Like there's like probably the most digestible NCAA scandal for the for the organization uh, versus like what's going on at Louisville or obviously North Carolina. So it wouldn't shock me if they got like by far the worst penalty just because it's the most like it's the most like close to what you expect an NCAA scandal to be. Um, that being said, they also have the they also have the coach who uh, has had the most success against uh, Nick Saban head to head. Um, with two wins in a row, and then, like, honestly, almost beat them last year with a, a team that ended up falling on its face. Uh, so it also wouldn't shock me because the SEC is the SEC uh, if Hugh Freeze got fired and then probably had to spend, like, a year away and then just got hired by, like, another one of those teams again. <laughs> like, if Butch, if, if, if Butch Jones got fired at Tennessee, uh, which is definitely in play because he's underachieved, um, and Hugh Freeze got fired this year, how... And let's say Tennessee couldn't land someone huge. Um, would it shock anyone if if Butch was or if uh, Freeze was the Tennessee head coach like two years later? No. As long as he didn't get a show cause now, because the SEC has no. Doesn't even get a show cause. Right. The SEC has no idea how to hire outside of its like tree, and I know other podcasts and other articles have talked about this, and that's why the SEC is in shambles right now, um, outside of Alabama, because no one understands that you can't beat Saban with Saban and you can't there are other options around college football and that's why the SEC is slowly but surely like kind of falling down to be one of the less entertaining like watches on a weekendly basis and that's going to have an impact over a long period of time yeah they all try to get their own Saban when if they want to beat Saban they need to think outside the box I mean it's not that hard you look at the schools that have beaten Alabama recently Clemson um, obviously, very different than Alabama, uh, stylistically. Um, A&M, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, a couple years ago. Like, all up-tempo, spread them out. Uh, like, all very kind of similar schools with big-time quarterbacks who can run and throw. Like, there is a model there. Obviously, you're not going to beat them every year. But going and hiring all of the assistants to run Alabama systems and see if, you know, you're going to out-bama them, that's just it's dumb. But... Uh, that's a discussion for... I mean, that, that'll probably be like the whole discussion oh, yeah. SEC week. 100%. Uh, speaking of uh, Alabama assistants, though, um, looking at Appalachian State's schedule, you know who they face in week one? I don't remember off the top of my head. Georgia. Ooh. Now, if Kirby Smart finds a way to get fired in year two... It, that, that's one way to do it. <laughs> it includes this game. Uh, actually, it, it, I think if he loses that game, he might just get fired by game two of year two. 
Um, yeah, App State could very well go 10-2, and 11-1 versus this schedule. Um, Georgia and Wake Forest are really the biggest tests on there. Uh, they avoid Troy. They avoid Arkansas State um, in the Sun Belt. Really, like, you're, you're looking at a pretty manageable schedule um, here. You, you have get, Georgia Southern at home. Yeah, you get Georgia Southern at home. You get Georgia State, which I'm not super worried about. Um, and, yeah, you, you basically got you've got a Wake Forest game at home, uh, You but, again, Wake's pretty close by. Um, you've got the Georgia game on the road, and, that, and you look at the rest of the schedule, like, at UMass, at Fun Row, at Georgia State, like, none of these games are going to scare you. So App State's, I think, 10-2 and two is, like, their, their floor this year. Um, which is again in, insane to talk about a NF a, a still recently new to FBS program like, in, in those kind of terms, but it's it's completely true. And on top of that, because of how to be honest, good the Sun Belt is at the top, like App State might still be like playing until the last week to see if they can win that conference because of how good Troy and Arkansas State are. Yeah, the App State Troy. Uh... I think those are probably the top two. Arkansas State could, could jump up there as well. Um, that should be a really fun uh, run to the end here for the uh, Sun Belt title because those two teams, I think, will uh, be probably among the five to ten. Be- well, no, that, that's pretty obvious. Probably fighting for like top five in terms of the group of five. Like They're both quite good. I would agree. Um, and then I guess to cap us off, Dan, uh, because I did want to talk about more than just a couple schools, um, Idaho and New Mexico State are leaving after this year. New Mexico State's going to try to tough it out as an independent, which I think is a terrible idea. Um, and Idaho is going to join the Big West. Um, the Vandals looked like they were a lot of fun last year. Are you sad to see the Vandals go? Uh, yeah, I think you're, especially a school that's like from an area that doesn't have other uh, FBS football, like any school like that, I feel like, I mean, you don't want to lose any of them, but especially one from like that, that, that area of the country where you have like a handful of schools and that's it. Um, I, you don't really want to see people dropping down. Like it stinks. Um, but uh, obviously there are reasons for it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they put together a nice outgoing year here before they see that entire, basically that entire ground to, uh, to uh, Wyoming and Boise. And so it already did. I guess. Well, basically, but they've been like fairly competitive at times. Like, yeah, it's just tough. The recruiting grounds aren't there. Um, you 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 have you're fighting with like some of those big FCS powers that are around there for for players. It's just a t- it's not it's not a great situation. Um, but hopefully, uh, everyone there makes the best of it for this last year. Agreed, agreed. Um, and then, what do you think about New Mexico State's decision? I think it's bad again. I mean, I know they're facing Liberty with like a home and home in two years, and I think if, if that if that's on your schedule as as an independent, it's you don't you don't have the ability to be an independent in, in my eyes. I just don't know what they're gonna do. Right, like at, at what point are because at this point now there's too many independents. There's an increase in conference games for the Pac-12, the Big 12, uh, and the Big 10. So now you only have three games per year for all those schools, and a lot of them are already scheduled out for the next 10 years. Um, you can only play UMass so often. Right. We, we <laughs> joked about the, the UMass-New Mexico State rivalry, which is going to force itself into existence, but like, you, I just don't know how it's feasible, especially for that, for that school. Like, people aren't going to want to travel there. How are you going to get more than five home games a year? I just don't, I don't know. Right. Well, that's... Good luck, Aggies. Um, and then lastly... I hope, they, I hope they figure it out. Because, again, I don't like losing 
losing schools, especially ones in like interesting areas and whatnot. But it just doesn't. It doesn't seem to. Work. I don't know how it's going to work. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm missing something. Maybe the mountain was to be nice. Invite them in North Dakota State. <laughs> Or North Dakota State could just come in and, and take the Idaho spot, and I think that'd be interesting. I, I'm I'm surprised we haven't gotten more buzz about that, like them and Montana and some of the, those other schools, like weighing in. But they could just be happy with what they're doing. True. All right. Anyways, lastly, um, Coastal Carolina. I mentioned them at the beginning. Uh, you said I wrote that article probably a few weeks back about um, Joe Moglia and Coastal Carolina and how they've been able to, in like a very short amount of time build uh, a bunch of boosters, a bunch of excitement, a pretty full stadium every Saturday, um, an entire culture. They've got a turquoise field, the whole deal. Um, they're a pretty wacky group. They're, they were also a new mascot for, for college football, um, the Chanticleers. Uh, they have a rooster who's not the same rooster as the Gamecocks, which should be leading at some point to some fun and angry Twitter arguments, I'm sure about which rooster's best. I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm very excited for Coastal Carolina to start. I think that putting this program to the test early on um, could be an interesting gauge about whether or not we see yet another wave after this of, of new programs and like upstart programs, uh, like a lot of the ones we've talked about already in the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can get uh, former... Uh giant bank CEOs to take over your football program, you can definitely make it happen. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting cat. Yeah, he's not a method <laughs> Definitely cat. one of the best stories. Oh, one of the best stories. He's not a method cat, though. He, he's just an interesting cat overall. Yeah. <laughs> he's got... Yeah, he was... I think it was TD Ameritrade? Yes, he was the CEO of TD Ameritrade for like 18 years or something. Yeah. I think I wrote about him recently somewhere. Yeah, Warren Buffett's a big fan of him. He then he just decided he wanted to coach college football, which he had done like in the eighties for Dartmouth, and he uh, called up Bo Pelini and was like, "Hey, let me come hang out." And then he did, and then he became like an assistant coach, and then he became the head coach at Coastal Carolina, which just and now, but I, I appreciate him because he's like super innovative. Um, he is very forward thinking, um, and look at their schedule. Like this is about as good a transitional schedule as you're going to get. They're hosting UMass week one. No, then they travel to UAB for week two. And then they host Western Illinois. No, There's a going. very good chance that they're going to open, open 3 0. And, and then they go at Arkansas. Uh, at Arkansas. Then, well, no, actually, there might be a game squeezed in there. Then they're at Arkansas in November. I don't know why the schedule doesn't have like the full day. Oh, oh it's deserved. They're in, the, in this conference where they're like Tuesday night games and stuff. Um, Arkansas is in November. Uh, so that'll be later on, but there's a very good chance that they're picking up at least three wins in September when those first three non-conference games is um, games are. I'm not quite sure what their other September. No, oh, they might be five and zero. They, they could go five and zero to start the season. Who else they have squeezed in there? They got UMass at UAB, Western Illinois at Monroe, and versus Georgia State. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's really impressive. That's just really good good scheduling work, and I hope that whoever does their schedules uh, Syracuse hires. Yeah, please, do that. Um, but then, yeah, after that, at Arc State, at Appalachian State, versus Texas State, at Arkansas, versus Troy. So they probably... If, That's if, a brutal finish. Yeah, <laughs> if they start 5-0, and oh, they're going 5-5. Five and five. 
Um, and then they have Idaho on the road and Georgia Southern to end it. They they, they need to hope they open 5-0. and uh, take, You're probably going to take some lumps. Uh, and then you have that Texas State game, which they should win on October 28th to pick up win number six. Eh. Um, no, I mean, Texas State's not that, not that good. Well, Coastal's also still in their first year, though. Right. But like, like in, two five, years, I mean, in two years, one I think we, Coastal's set to go. Yeah. Um, I can see them sneak. Well, they can't. Can they go to a bowl this year or are they probationary no. or whatever? I, I think yeah, that's a stupid rule anyway. It is. I don't think they can go to bowl until either next year or the year after. That's such a dumb rule. There aren't enough bowls. Like, yeah. why, why are you doing this to teams? Um,. Either way, I mean, I think that's a, a good way to, to get excitement about the program, even if they ended up do like flaming out uh, in mid-October. Oh yeah, if they can win at least, if they can win three games this year, I think that's a really good base to to go from there. And hey, right. uh, also on Coastal is a former Syracuse quarterback, Austin Wilson. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Do we have any idea if he's like in line to contend to start? No, I don't think he is. Because they've got that uh, that kid who sounded like he was like the lead singer of like a '80s hair band or something. Like, what was his name like Slash? <laughs> something like ridiculous. Uh, I'm looking. They have. I don't see a Slash. I see a. Like some wacky ass. He's got like a dope name. I'll f- I'll find it. This is important. Yeah, this is this is how we're gonna end the podcast. <laughs> Googling oh, Coastal yeah. Carol Chance Thrasher. Oh, that's amazing! Best name in college football. It's also like weirdly close to Chance, Chance the rapper. rapper. It's 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 metal Chance Chance the rapper. I really wish they'd make they could make T-shirts for individual players and like still be within the NCAA rules because Chance the Thrasher. My favorite part is that I'm on his profile. Does not look like a Chance Thrasher. Interesting. Does that look like he does very much thrashing at all? I he I wish he was number three, and just had like a <laughs> <laughs> just like as a joke, just like wore a three hat all the time. Uh, he was a three star recruit though. Oh, there you go. We'll take it. Anyway, I think that's a good place to stop. Yes. Uh, Dan, actually, no. Before we go, um, App State or <laughs> App State or Troy? On this, uh, that's right. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Troy as well. Uh, it's going to be tight, though. I, it's a coin flip, I think. I, I, I liked what Troy was last year. I thought they have a... I, I have an infatuation with Neil Brown as a coach. Um, I hope a program that doesn't suck hires him after next year. Uh, I just think they returned so much, and they were just really, really good last year. So I just trust them a little more, but it wouldn't shock me if... App State's always good, so obviously there's no surprise there. Agreed. I think the only thing that gets App above them is the schedule. So Yeah. We shall see. Um, anyway, Dan, thanks as always for joining. Much appreciated. Of course. And uh, yeah, everyone be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on any other service you might use to listen to us on. And uh, go orange. Go orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. 
make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.